Hello everyone, and today I'm happy to say Music Arcade made it into the news! No, wait, sorry, read that wrong. We're talking about the news. Well, join us in discussing new games, new concerts, and new music on today's new episode of the Music Arcade. Hello everyone, I'm Galen the Sound Guy Firestone. I'm Wanakil, and I am um, 4254th in the queue. And I'm Maddie, and usually this is where my funny gag intro goes, but I think we have something more serious prepared, right? Yeah, um, so today we're kind of talking about some things that happened fairly recently, a few more serious topics. Um, one isn't actually that serious, but involves someone that we kind of can't really avoid talking about. And then, um, the other is actually like fairly serious so i'm i'm i am laughing at that q joke because uh for those of you who don't know final fantasy 14 and walker just dropped and the cues to get into that video game are no joke uh they've been saying their hardware cap they're actually offering us free game time because of these problems which is nice yes i have nothing but uh patience for what is no doubt a very complicated launch, but that's not even any of the heavy topic we are going to talk about today. That's yes. more of the pl palette cleanser kind of stuff. Yes. I have to admit, I, have to admit I, I was planning on being serious on my intro and I had to take a second to breathe after that joke because I should have expected that, that it was well done. Yeah, I mean, you should expect me to be incredibly funny enough to derail your train of thought. I don't know what you are thinking. I mean, jokes aside, it wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, now let's get back from heavy metal to heavy topic. Yes. Okay, so, um, I'm just going to come out and say it, because usually we like kind of dancing around it, but we're actually going to be talking about the Skyrim 10th anniversary concert. Now, before we begin, I'd like to say that in discussing this concert, Music Arcade in no way endorses or wishes to defend Jeremy Sewell. We stand by with Natalie Lawhead and all others who have been assaulted or exploited by Sewell and others like him. However, it serves no purpose whatsoever to dismiss art just because the artist was a bad actor. Doing so is dismissive and disingenuous. What we will be discussing today are creative works that have inspired many and stands on their own regardless of their creator's misdeeds. And certainly, there has been a lot to talk about this past month. Lots of issues with the gaming world, and every sort of problem you can imagine. The truth is, we as a group are focused on the music, not the news. And we certainly aren't experts in the law. I, for one, don't feel that I can give an authoritative discussion on that sort of wrongdoing, nor do I wish to try. That would also be disingenuous. At the end of the day, this is a music podcast, so let's talk about the music. Uh, the goal as far as I'm concerned, is that, um, if anything, by talking uh, about the production and also the issues attached to it, we can do our due diligence and not silence the uh, baggage that uh, some of those works have without denying all genuine appreciation of those works. Yeah, it in the end it's it's unfair to judge art by the artist. Um because art can mean many things and can stand on its own without being tainted by 
actions of others. Um, and obviously there's a tricky line here. But I think in this case, it's worthwhile to talk about this concert as a, as a positive experience, because it is one. Yeah. One that no doubt uh, will inspire people in some ways. Yeah. Uh, Besides, ethics are a very complicated matter, and sometimes the author does does screw with your uh, enjoyment of the material. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, this is a case where, for the most part, I think it's fair to say it didn't. Uh, the music doesn't necessarily represent his feelings. It represents the feelings the game wants to have us feel yeah so at the end of the day a choice must be made and this is the choice we've all agreed to make yeah exactly Um, it may not be the perfect or the right position but it's one we're willing to what is uh, like what would be the perfect or right decision i don't think that's a very good argument either because there's no such thing this is just such a complicated and nuanced sort of matter that i don't really feel like there is a perfect position we're just kind of doing the best we can here guys that we are so anyway those choirs are pretty heavy the music the choirs are pretty heavy i wanted to talk about this a little later on because i have a whole bunch of notes on this concert but one thing i noticed the recording setup was a little interesting they um so they were playing in a specific sort of concert hall, but I noticed that the choir was actually set up in this concert hall in the audience section. So they were recorded far away from the stage, and it sounds very, like, they are very present. That is a very present choir. Uh, the engineers credited for this concert were Jonathan Stokes and Neil Hutchinson. They, they were okay, but I feel like the vocals overpowered a couple of points. There's one song in particular that I'm just like, what are these vocals? I think that part of it might be an attempt to sort of recreate what might have been the original intention with the game soundtrack because here's a little of a little bit of a uh, fun fact let's say about the Skyrim soundtrack uh it's sort of known for its main theme where it's uh it sounds like a viking chant singing the theme of the Dovahkiin but according to behind-the-scenes material, uh, apparently they had a very small team, very small number of singers, and they basically recorded them multiple times. Uh, a technique similar to what uh, Queen used to do with uh, Freddie Mercury's voice to make it sound well, more operatic. Yeah, that but sort of this... central overdubbing and reconstruction is pretty, uh, pretty, pretty common in music just in general. Like, you have a lot of self-backing yeah. singers just by looping. Yeah, not yeah. everyone is an absolute madman like Mick Gordon going, Hey, uh, entire studio at Microsoft, uh, how about I record and mix your hundreds of voice uh, from a distance? Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I mean, not just Ubisoft, that, but there's also like a budget consideration as well. Like, you can't always, you don't always have the money for projects like that. Exactly. Yeah, it's hard to tell how big Bethesda was 10 years ago, right? Like, they had a, some success with uh, the Elder Scrolls, but they weren't the size they are today. No, they've grown to their monolithic heights largely on the back of the game we're talking about, which is Skyrim. Yeah, and 
my my point with the voice is being that maybe they intended to sort of simulate what it might have sounded like if they had an actual big powerful choir uh singing on the original soundtrack since they had to do all that uh overdubbing to make it feel bigger than it really was in the yeah. original game i mean yeah uh, that's very but possible not, not not even necessarily bigger as i'd say fuller more dynamic yeah i i get that and i i think uh in some some pieces it works really well to be honest uh i can't remember which track it was right off the top of my head right now but one of them uh when it started playing i kind of had the feeling that it almost sounded like gregorian chant or something for a moment um so props to london voices they are an amazing choir i've heard them in other productions before uh and they did a good job here it, the the singers were great yeah uh the singers were very good uh do we want to talk about this track by track or are we just going randomly here i don't think that was ever discussed uh i think it's up to you guys i would just make uh uh a separate point about the starfield suite at the end yeah that was already the plan um yeah uh no the the chorus was very good but there was a song uh the fourth track was unbroken road which was pretty good until the chorus came in, and actually that killed it for me. I don't know what the chorus was on that song in particular, but it was like, it was really overpowering. It didn't feel like it, it, it they were clearly going for uh, key contrast, but it just felt off key. It felt kind of way too busy. I don't know, that, that particular song, the chorus really threw me off it. Everywhere else it was relatively good, but... That particular one, I don't know if that was an engineering thing or a composition thing or some combination of the two or even just an acoustics thing, but it just that that particular song, the vocals are like the song was good until the vocals hit. And that's not something I usually say. Usually when it comes to this sort of chanting vocals, I'm all about it. But this time or that particular song, Unbroken Road, I'm just like, nah, that one is not working for me. Yeah, I, I'm the the guy that played Skyrim Rock crap ton here and mm -hmm. uh, i also just I, I listened to that track i didn't i didn't necessarily have that much of a reaction against this this take on it but it did feel uh, i think it was the one track in the entire concert to me that didn't feel superior to the original soundtrack every other track in here i felt was better in this concert sounded better in this concert than in the actual game to me it felt I, more the other tracks felt more dynamic there was more bass to them this track the choir i think it was a bit overpowered i think if it was a bit more uh in the back it would have given a yeah. more cool ethereal effect which i think it's what the original soundtrack went for uh here it's a bit too upfront yeah and i and I can definitely see your general feelings about how uh, this concert really elevates the soundtrack because I have no memory of any single song in Skyrim besides uh, the intro theme. And uh, funny you mentioned the intro theme because once you once you finish your thought, I have thoughts on the intro theme. Go ahead. By all means, we'll have a transition. Cool. Uh, Transitions uh, go be like those. Yes. 
and uh, I don't think any of the game's music left any lasting impression on me. Those tracks, uh, the way they were interpreted in this concert, I'd have remembered some of those, I can tell you that. Yeah, uh, that's one of the reasons why I love video game concerts in so many ways, because it will elevate songs in my mind for that very reason, if 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 the live performance is strong enough. Uh, I remember when we were talking about the FF14 concert, I didn't get to the edge as a song until I heard it live. Um... That's happened with songs from Distant Worlds. That's happened with live songs from just heavy metal bands I go see live. Like, there's a bunch of songs from some of my favorite bands that I didn't get till I heard them live. And they're like, oh, I understand this song now. So I think that's almost a driving goal of these sorts of concerts. So if if it's they succeeded in elevating it... Happens. Yeah, if they succeeded in elevating most of the music above the original soundtrack, both in quality and in just memory retention, then I think that is that is a sign of a successful concert. I think that's a sign of a successful mission there. And I particularly like... Um, I don't think they did too many reinterpretations of songs here. They mostly just messed with the levels of certain instruments, as far as I can tell. Uh, compared to the original soundtrack. But the one piece where I think there might have been a bit of a reinterpretation, or at least my mind is telling me there might have been, was in fact the title theme. Okay. Uh, the song called Dragonborn. Because uh, here's a bit of a backstory about uh, the main theme. The melody to the main theme, uh, just wait for the bug yep. to go away. Uh, the melody for the main theme uh, f throughout the Elder Scrolls franchise, or I'm not sure when uh, Jeremy Sue uh, got into the franchise, but at least ever since he started composing to this day, the main melody has always been the same. What changed has been the instrumentation, and in the case of Skyrim, there were almost no instruments besides voices uh, in the game proper. And uh, within Skyrim, at the end of the game, Spoilers for a 10-year-old game. Mm. Uh, you go into a, a a sort of astral plane full of dead people and they are singing the same lyrics to the title theme but with, with a different melody. And I, the implication I get within the world of the, the game, knowing that the lore says uh, people don't remember the Dragonborn song anymore, uh, was that those people being dead they remembered the melody and they sung the actual Dragonborn song and the title theme is uh, people taking the lyrics and making their own music from it with their music becoming the theme for the the Empire in these games okay. because the Empire is led by Dragonborn Emperors or was led by Dragonborn Emperors and why am I telling all of that backstory? Because this concert with the theme Dragonborn had a lot more brass to it, a lot, a lot more trumpets than it did in Skyrim. And that presence of the trumpets was a mainstay in Morrowind and Oblivion, the previous two games. So to me, it felt like they were marrying the Dragonborn uh, song with the traditional uh, Empire theme, which has been the... A title track in the previous games and I love that marriage of ideas I've I find it to sound 
really really cool the added brass in particular the trumpets makes it sound a lot more glorious uh really brings up that idea of empire of the dragonborn uh cast let's say they aren't a cast in the lore but for simplification reasons let's say the dragonborn casts ruling things okay yeah uh, i i enjoy that a lot uh, as someone who is into the lore of the other scrolls uh i found i could interpret the take on that song uh in a, in a really in a way that was really fun at least to me um no i liked that one a lot i thought that was a very good performance um I've got to be honest, though, I didn't really feel like it... <sighs> okay, time to be harsh here. Uh, after listening through this concert twice, I've come to the conclusion that I don't think I like Jeremy Sewell very much. And I don't even mean that controversy-wise, I just don't think I like him very much as a composer. There were three songs on here entirely that I liked, and then every other song is like... I, I'm writing here, like, the word that permeates my notes is boring, repetitive, boring, repetitive. I'm sleepy. I, I've said that a lot. Um, and the three songs I like were this one, Dragonborn, which you just mentioned, uh, Death or Sovngarde, which I thought was pretty cool, and then the one at the end, One They Fear, but then I also have on here, wait a minute, did they just steal the melody line from Pirates of the Caribbean? Is that why I like this? I totally get what you mean when you say the concert elevates the music mechanically like the mixing was very very good throughout like i liked the arrangements in so far as you know it was all very pretty to listen to but i gotta be honest with you most of these songs just have like my exact notes on the street of right uh the streets of white run i have no opinion of this song it's a song it's there <laughs> like that hurts i i i don't get this one guys i gotta be honest like there, I, I maybe I'm just way too jacked into the Uematsu style of just these big heavy themes, and I've talked about this in the past how I prefer that. And this game just has that like very atmospheric, very kind of quiet western kind of style to it, where it just doesn't give me much to sink my teeth in and talk about. Um, Dragonborn was very the... cool; it had a very strong melody line, and as you, regardless of the context that you said, I did like the brass lines quite a bit in it. So I do agree with you there. I think uh, part of it also comes with the fact that uh, Soul himself is probably one of the most uh, ambience-focused composers in uh, in gaming music that I've uh, seen. In fact, his first work was in uh, Secret of Evermore on the SNES. Yeah. And the entire soundtrack was absurdly minimalistic. I've enjoyed some of the music there, but I enjoy stuff like Dungeon Synth. And Dungeon Synth is one of the most niche music genres that exist. So uh, he takes this ambience-heavy uh, composition style to an extreme sometimes, uh, so I can definitely see why this sort of stuff isn't for everyone, especially if you've grown more with uh, Japanese RPGs than Western ones. Well, and it's even... not even only a case of not for everyone, I think. There's also, I mean, ambient isn't really my jam, but I can see and fully understand and appreciate how uh, a lot of people like a lot of that stuff. Oh yeah, doesn't... I'm not saying it's objectively bad or yeah. anything. Please don't get me wrong there. But 
Not all styles translate well to a concert setting. And no. ambient is probably one of the genres that suffers the most. Yeah, it's hard to make that one work in a you can only elevate you can only elevate so much. Yeah, I think I think most of the the works by uh, according to according to Assassin's Creed Valhalla, this is the proper pronunciation. Jesper could, I think most of his ambient work can be translated to a a, a sort of concert environment because. He toys a lot with very different uh, types of sounds. He toys with electronic sounds, like guitars, uh, orchestras. Jeremy Souls can get repetitive. He's yeah. pretty much just an orchestra guy. Yeah. As a, um, as a small aside, that's probably not uh, going to get cut, but I just wanted to get it off my chest. Uh, I've uh, heard of Jasper Kidd's... Uh, a name come up in a place I didn't expect, which was a ritual uh, uh, sort of um, documentary-style uh, video on uh, essentially the demo scene during the Amiga era, which is how we got started. Huh! Huh. Like, uh, yeah, he's been at it for a long time with some pretty wonky tools. I'm impressed. I'll link you the video. It's interesting stuff. Please do. Um, yeah, it, there's one thing I'm noticing about this is it feels very movie score like about this, about a lot of these tracks on here. Yes. The thing is. One, I rarely give a crap about movie scores in general, and two, when I do, they're like John Williams. They're these big, bombastic, like, melody things. I was about things. to say, when I care, it's John Williams. Yeah. <laughs> There's a difference. Yeah. Like. It's either, either John Williams or Hans Zimmer, the rest just yeah. know. Hans Zimmer, um, Jerry Goldsmith. Rest in peace. Um, yeah, there's... I don't know, yeah, th this one, this one... While I certainly appreciate and respect it, this one was definitely not for me. Um, okay, I need to talk about this. Around the Fire. I wish this wasn't included in the concert at all, because this is Tavern Music 101. Like... I, I, my notes say this exactly. I've heard this song about 800 times in 800 different games. Every in theme in every Western RPG sounds like this. Lead flutist is good, though. Am I, am I wrong? wrong? Because it's, it, it sounds almost identical to the, the main menu theme for Hearthstone. Right? Like, it's just... It's, this is in music. This is Western RPG in music. We all know what it sounds like, and that was that song. And I'm like, this did not need to be in this concert. I kind of regret that it was here. This is, this is A, throwing me off, and B, just so just basic. Uh, okay, let's try to use my powers. I have only browsed randomly uh, through the concert. I don't know off the top of my head what song you're talking about. But does this song like Good. You if you didn't even listen to the song and you can basically hum it, yes. 
Yes, it's got that same kind of twangy kind of yeah, and it's got that flute and it's got that there's a like a snare drummer trying to make it sound like a hand drum in there. Good luck with that. <laughs> it's yeah. it's exactly what you think it is. It is exactly the song you think it is. Excellent. I think the worst part about that song to me is it isn't necessarily that they, that they included it in the 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 concert cuz I think there are ways where you could make it fit. I think the worst part is that it breaks the concert in two halves for no reason. There's the pre-Tavern song concert, there's the Tavern song, and then there's the post-Tavern song concert. You break the the flow for no good reason. I assume Um, they must have chosen that for the anniversary video, which had a lot of testimonials about uh, from the people within uh, Bethesda. So maybe it fit a little bit better there. I mean, that's the I only explanation see, I can think of. I have another possible explanation, which is that it was placed in the middle to give a little time for the choir to recuperate. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. possible. I usually this would be where an intermission would go, but you can't have an intermission in a video like this. So a song like this actually makes quite a bit of sense. Like I, I, you hear that like a, a very good com, a very good, um, a very good comparison would be a Nightwish concert. Usually, right in the middle there is where Marco, who sadly has left the band to my incredible regret, would no. play one of his solo songs, like the Islander or like uh, "When Our Lips Are Still Red," um, to give the lead singer Annette or Fleur back in the day, Tardia, a chance to just rest. Uh, also, the instrumental song, Last of the Wilds, that's where that would go. So that's that's very much a thing that happens. Usually at an Epica show for kind of the same thing, they do the obsessive devotion where Simone doesn't even appear in the back half and then do an instrumental thing between Oliver and, uh, not Oliver, between Kun and uh, Isak. Oliver, wrong band. But even then, kind of a similar thing, because Camelot does that too. Because, yeah. yeah, Oliver does do that. So, yeah, no, it's a pretty common thing to give your vocalist a chance to rest, especially when there's this much vocals in here. Like, this is, this is a, every song seemed to have some kind of vocals, except the Tavern song. So And for those in the, audi- in the audience with the uh, Galen Firestone bingo cards, that's three of his favorite bands. Yes, indeed. Um, hey, Night- Nightwish is one of mine, too. I had a Slaying the Dreamers, another example in my head. Yeah. Yeah, because, um, yeah, the singer hops off after, yeah, the back half of that one, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, so I can see why that's there, I just wish it was a better song, because... Yeah, you you can make those uh, intermissions without making it feel like there's a, a problem with the pace of the concert as a whole. Yeah, I think I think part of the the idea that comes to my mind about it breaking the pacing and feeling unnecessary is that if you check the the concert which is available for everyone to to check out on youtube uh, we'll have it's the not track a... linked uh, in the video and podcast description yep yeah uh the thing about this concert is that since it was made uh, to be used as part of another promotional video the concert itself isn't a non-stop thing there are edit breaks between each each song. Yeah. Uh, So it feels like maybe they could have just taken a break and edit another track, right? 
it feels like uh, it might have been another reason behind uh, this choice of music for this uh, part of the, the of the concert. Sure. Uh, or maybe maybe they did record their uh, all the tracks uh, in sequence nonstop, and we just didn't get the proper experience. I've got to be honest, I'm almost certain they too. didn't do that, especially since there was no audience. There had to have been retakes in here somewhere. I appreciate that this orchestra and this chorus were both very professional, but there's no reason not to have retakes in a, in a scenario like this. This wasn't in front of a live studio audience. Agreed. Like, just mechanically. If you're going to have, uh, to, uh, have certain constraints due to the situation, make use of them. Yeah. Um, and incidentally, while we were talking about the the performances, uh, the performers, and how great they were, they were. I think it's it's fair to shout out. Uh, it was the London London Symphony Orchestra, and as I've mentioned before, the London Voices Choir. Yes, uh, they do a lot of stuff. There's a lot of uh, albums by the London Symphony Orchestra available on streaming. They are the real deal. They are one of the great uh, European orchestras around. Yeah, yeah, I could tell that. The actual performances were very, very solid and very, very professional throughout. I have absolutely no complaint about the performances themselves at all. Um, my biggest complaints are, again, sometimes the vocal mixing was a bit hot, especially on Broken Road, and Around the Fire should not have been included in this track list just because it is so kind of pointless. Um... Man, I I am trying to actually remember some of these songs, but I really don't up until like between Around the Fire and then Death or Sovngarde, which was good, and then the one they fear. Like there's just a pile of songs there. Streets of Right Run, Kind's Peace from Past to Present, they all just blur together in my brain. None of those songs stick out to me at all. Even Welcome with the very professional orchestra. I think uh, at, at least half of those tracks uh, mostly play in the game uh, during the night, even. And uh, if there's any music in a Western video game that is very quiet, it's nighttime open world themes. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I enjoy those songs, to be, to be fair. I, I do really love ambient music. Uh, but even then, I have to agree that there are some that I, I often forget. Um, Kind's Peace tends to be one that I easily, and easily forget. If I may jump in briefly, just to uh, say perhaps the obvious, just because you make a common relaxing night theme doesn't mean it has to be forgettable. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 comes to mind. A lot of those night themes Which is funny, I was thinking Xenoblade Chronicles amazing. 1. I was well, about to mention, um, I was about to mention, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I was about to mention, uh, Sahate Marsh, I think is what it was called. At night, everything kind of lights up and it gets all just very pretty and very just, there's a lot there. And I really like that nighttime song a lot. That's how you do a good open world nighttime song. Eddie, that's your cue to pretend you played Xenoblade Chronicles X. What? Uh, <laughs> that way okay. we have a trio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I think everyone who's been listening to the podcast knows that I'm the guy who doesn't play Nintendo games, not because necessarily <laughs> I hate them, but because I don't get the opportunity ever. 
I play Pokemon and that's that's it. Well, and even then I'm like three generations late. <laughs> well, Xenoblade Chronicles X was only on the Wii U, so you have that in common with most people that play video games. Including me. Like I played Xenoblade 1 and I need to play Xenoblade 2 at some point. It's it's I own it. I own it. It's it's there. Uh but yeah, I have no I've not even had the opportunity or chance to play Xenoblade X. I think I gave you a few tracks to listen and you absolutely hated them. They were not my style of music. I still want to play the video yes. game. Oh, yeah. But that's not Skyrim. Correct. Um, Although it is the most Skyrim of them three. I believe that. Okay, so uh, <laughs> one they fear. I, I literally, my comment on this is finally some energy, an actual melody line. Pirates? Um, is it just I, me, or I, I, did they take the melody line for Pirates of the Caribbean? I, I, it sounds like they took the melody line for Pirates of the Caribbean. My brain is conflating them really hard. I'm not very familiar with the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack. With I know that one. I'm not... I'm not sure. I don't really see it, but maybe it's because I've actually played the game a lot and have heard it way too many times in its proper context, which is basically, oh crap, there's a dragon on top of me, I should either A, kill him and absorb his soul because I am a monster, or B, run the hell away from this. Because so, I'm not big enough of a monster. Uh, yeah, usually the latter happens when you have mods installed because the vanilla dragons are very easy, but that's beside the point. Uh, uh, Bethesda so, and modding. A match made I hope in they, something. I hope they'll finish a game one of these days. That would be nice. So yeah, after One They Fear, which was an actual good song, and yes, it's boss music. Shocking that me, the boss music guy, likes boss music in this game. Uh, we move on to the Starfield suite, not by Jeremy Sewell, by uh, composer Inon Zur, who also did Dragon Age Origins on the subject of dragons who are either way too easy or way too hard, depending on what mods you have installed. <laughs> um... Man, I liked this one way more than anything else in that concert. It had a very, like, Star Trek 1 kind of old-school Jerry Goldsmith feel that actually, like, really spoke to me. Inon Zur, uh, I think it might be worth just introducing him real quick. To those who don't know, Inon Zur apparently is just Bethesda's new go-to guy, uh, because... Uh, Ever since Skyrim, I don't think uh, Jeremy Sewell has done anything else for Bethesda. From uh, what I understand, Elder Microsoft Online. actually poached him for MMO duties. Yeah, like, they actually uh, got him into a contract. And even within, like, we've had other Elder Scrolls stuff uh, in the meantime, but even then, uh, Jeremy Sewell was nowhere to be found, even though he was the go-to guy ever since, at least Morrowind. Uh, but nowadays, I believe Brad Derrick is the composer for the uh, Elder Scrolls Online. But Inon Zur has done uh, the Elder Scrolls Blades, which was a mobile game, Fallout 4, Fallout 76, and the Wastelanders expansion, and the Still Dawn expansion. He pretty much is, at this point, I think it's safe to say, the main compo composer for uh, Bethesda. 
and he's composing uh, their next big RPG, which is Starfield. Okay, uh, I'm see. I'm on his Wikipedia page, looking at his uh, list of works. I have to mention some of those. Okay. If Go only on. because of some things you wouldn't expect to see, like Power Rangers Turbo and Big Bad Beetleborgs. What? Enon Zor? Yes. Also, Escaflone. Wait, I actually knew about the Power Rangers one. <laughs> Wait, Escaflone isn't that Japanese? He's not Japanese. Yes, I know. Man, this I guy no has a, this guy has a resume. Uh, and uh, you mentioned the tracks give you Star Trek vibes. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be crazy if his first video game works were free Star Trek games? I love followed it. Followed by Followed Tactics, Baldur's Gate 2, and another Star Trek game. Which which was the first Star Trek game he worked on? Uh, Klingon Academy. Oh my god, I played that. <laughs> oh wow, I've been apparently following this guy's work for a while and not even realizing it. Yeah, he's also made tracks for a lot of uh, CRPGs. Uh, newer ones like uh, Kingmaker and older ones like I said, Baldur's Gate 2, Icewind Dale 2. Ooh, Icewind Dale. Haven't heard about that franchise in a while. It's part of the greater uh, D&D uh, thing. Yeah. Oh, I know, I know. I, it's just, it, it, it hasn't been as in my mind as yes. like uh, the, the Torment games. Yes, I mean if if but we're I'd talking say... about his his extended uh, his extended works, I, I think it's worth pointing out the irony that he was brought by Bethesda to work on Fallout Four on Fallout Three and then Fallout Four, and one of his earlier works in gaming was Fallout Tactics. Yes. I don't even think that's irony. I'll bet you they hired him specifically for continuity of for, for continuity of sound. Yeah, and in general, he seems to have a lot of fingers in a lot of open-world pies. Uh, like, there's some MMORPG stuff, even, like Lineage 2. There's some Dragon Age, and randomly Soul Calibur 5 in the middle. Dragon's Dogma. Weird. Yes. Dragon's Dogma, yeah. which has some fantastic tracks, some of which have had to be removed from the final version of the game due to licensing issues. Ah. The world of music. Yeah, well, we'll be talking about that shortly, but... Um, that indeed. Getting back to Starfield yeah. Suite in particular, I really like this track. Like, this was my favorite song in the... In the... Just objectively in the concert. Like, not even... Like, just ignoring, again, the controversy surrounding Jeremy Sewell, even if that wasn't the case, this would still come out as my favorite. This one hit a lot of buttons for me and really actually captured that space vibe. I wish I knew this song existed back when we did our In Space episode, because I absolutely would have brought it up. It didn't well, exist before then. That's yeah, the it doesn't exist yet. Cool! Starfield well, isn't out. A version of it definitely does, because we're talking about it, unless we have all gone insane and made up a song. Have we gone insane and made up a song? It's out on streaming, actually. It was released as a single. I'm not sure whether it's a different version or a recording from this concert, but it's available on streaming as a single. Okay, as so at least like a, a version of it does exist. Ago. 
Also, yes. you guys totally, I left you guys wide open to go, yes, we're completely insane, and no one picked up the bait. You just went straight for actual information. I'm a little sad. I was thinking of a joke and didn't land on a good punchy one. I'm sorry. I, uh, I can handle the pressure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um. Don't worry, we'll, we'll adapt to, the, to that bait on the next episode. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I am looking forward to the inevitable Starfield concert, because I have a feeling I'm going to get a lot more out of that than I got of this one. Um, I'm, we I, shall I, see. Uh, I, I, I will say that I, I really enjoyed the song as well. I, the piece as a whole. Uh, yeah. I did have, uh, I did get Star Trek vibes from it, though weirdly enough, I kind of felt like it was leaning more towards Star Trek, but it it fell in my mind somewhere right in between the Star Trek uh, style of soundtracking and the Star Wars style. Because there were some times where it was really grand, grandiose, like Star Wars tends to be. Um, but it was mostly tilted towards the Star Trek side. Trek definitely has its moments of that. Listen to the Star Trek The Next Generation theme song by Jerry Goldsmith. That's pretty grandiose. That that I mean I'm 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 familiar. Like the original had what, a soprano singer? Uh so it it it's not uncommon for for a Star Trek to be that grandiose either. Yeah. Uh but just I, the vibe I, I got was like somewhere in between it's it felt to me like it was uh, Inon Zur's own style, but it felt inspired by both of these oh, big yeah. franchises and probably many others that I haven't watched or haven't played before. But Star Trek and Star Wars were the ones that instantly popped into my into my mind. Yeah, I mean, which that's good because you're making a sci-fi game and your you know your music your music. Uh harkens back and reminds the audience of very big start uh, very big sci-fi franchises that's a good sign that means the composer is doing something right like if we get that reference that's a good thing that's a good sign yeah i'm just double checking here the the single that was released for this uh, starfield suite Mm-hmm. It says it's played by the London Symphony Orchestra, so it was probably grabbed straight from this concert and released as a single. I mean, that makes sense. There's certainly nothing wrong with this performance. And I yeah, mentioned that engineers not. Jonathan Stokes and Neil Hutchinson did a decent enough job. I don't really see why they couldn't release it. So, yeah, why not? Go for it. That's that's a good thing to do. But yeah, it's. I think it was the first time we've ever heard anything from Starfield other than short snippets in uh, teaser trailers so it's it's good to hear that at least on the soundtrack front the game is solid we will see about the rest well i mean like usual bethesda will make 20 percent of the game and then the modders will do the rest yeah. unless microsoft somehow manages to fix that issue after they bought bethesda but i'm not very hopeful no 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 no, no. No, that's that's just not. They Bethesda. have to prove first they can do a job in full before we even give them the benefit of the doubt. Yep, they they don't finish their games. No, that's I still the remember. I'm going to go from. 
they're they're better I on the publishing be bit... front than they are on the development front. But even then, yes. like yeah, I, I tend to be a bit I tend to be a bit more forgiving than most gamers on that front. But there is a tidbit about Skyrim that always gets to me, where there's this set of armor called Dwemer armor, mm -hmm. and there's a quest you have to do. Uh, you have to do. It's a side quest you can do. But as a result of it, you gain a passive buff that makes your Dwemer armor, uh, I think, 25% more, uh, more durable. Uh, it gives 25% more, more defense. Okay. Uh, on release, that buff didn't work. It just didn't do anything. So they patched it. After the patch, it gave 25% more defense to everything except the Dwemer armor. <laughs> <laughs> just i'll let you guys process that one i don't know how they did it but they did it oh that is that is well done well done oh there's a reason the unofficial patches exist for basically every bethesda game uh oh, yeah not giving them the benefit of the doubt yeah no i'm i'm not either I, i'm i'm this is bethesda we the final version of Starfield will hopefully be very good for modders, and at this point, I'm almost looking forward to what modders even come up with. Like, I'd be yeah. very impressed by that. I would give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt, if of a doubt, if not for the fact that for the second uh, original release in a row of an original RPG by them, they chose a gimmicky release date just for the marketing gimmick. Skyrim came out on 11-11-11. Starfield is coming out on 11-11-2022. So, 1-1-1-1-2-2. Unless it gets delayed. I don't think they're delaying. It's Bethesda. Yeah, they'll release it half-finished. We are just dunking on Bethesda now. We should probably do something more productive with our time. We don't want Todd Howard to come screaming at us so let's move on to the next topic perhaps oh i have not been looking forward to this one uh okay so we've uh talked about overclocked remix a couple of times uh they are a collective of usually free i i think there's a couple of paid albums but even then i think payment's even optional uh, remixes of video game music, and it's a great way to get into composition and get into uh, publishing and all that other fun stuff about game music. I actually respect these guys a lot. Now, they have a little-known competitor, uh, which actually focuses on paid releases, called the Materia Collective. Uh, and I actually have several albums from the Materia Collective. They did a really cool Final Fantasy Tactics remix album. Uh, they did a really cool... Um, they did a couple of really cool collections that I really like. Uh, they also act as a record label for independent releases in a lot of cases. Uh, I believe uh, several independent games release their soundtracks through Materia Collective, and that way they act more like a traditional record label. So earlier this year, uh, and I got this story from RPG Fan, but I've I've done my research and corroborated it, but I'm mostly going to be quoting this uh, RPG Fan article composer producer and former community manager laura platt detailed her negative experience with the label on twitter on october 26th ex uh, october 26th explaining materia had withheld just over 1k from her personally 
And uh, for others, that number was much, much higher. Uh, and she says, and I quote, I can't quite explain how humiliating it is to hear how little owner Sebastian Wolf thought of our compensation mattered to him, especially a year deep into a global pandemic where opportunities for financial compensation for music had been decimated. Um, this one really matters to me as someone who works in the industry. This one was like, the, I saw this article and I started like checking around on it and I just saw red. Because music ain't easy, yo. Sound yeah, no. ain't easy, yo. Now, I'm going to start with what's maybe a very bold opinion, so please stop me if I go too far. Okay. But I think if you work on something, you should be credited and paid. Yeah, that's, that's, yes. And there's honestly a lot of this in gaming. We mentioned that we won't talk about the big controversies of the year, but I do need to mention this real quickly because it's relevant. One of the things that game developers do to force unpaid overtime is to withhold credits if someone refuses. Your credits are your resume. If you don't have that, you're less likely to get hired later. Doing that in music is like eight times worse almost because music is such a word-of-mouth industry, especially by compared to something like programming where a strong resume can get you in the door elsewhere. In music's case, like, if you don't have your resume, not everyone has time to listen to your Bandcamp. And I know a whole lot of producers who are like, if you have a Bandcamp link on your resume, I'm not even going to look at it. Um. Yeah, wow. Yeah, because no one has time to listen to three minutes of a song from every single person who applies for a music soundtrack gig. It's just such a word-of-mouth industry. So Yeah, li listening to three minutes of every song that you find your hands on is what music podcasters do. Yes, exactly, because we have no lives. This, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I just want to point out that this reality is very similar to one that I'm facing because I am... Uh, uh, sort of starting to write as a freelance marketing writer, mostly content writing, but other mm -hmm. stuff as well. But my first contract was of uh, was uh, with a big agency. It was a, a ghostwriting contract. So every time someone talks to me about my experience, I want to mention them, but I cannot. So I end up coming up with like where sentences like, well, I work for a big marketing agency. Uh, I swear they, they, yeah, don't and let it me, sounds like don't you're making things you. up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I work, I have a second client and there's a third who's in the talks, but like until last month, I had one client and I couldn't talk about that client. And I have, I don't have a degree in marketing, I have a degree in business. Right. So that makes makes things even worse. Uh-huh. So in the music industry, it's a similar thing. Uh, a lot of people get into music without do those fancy degrees because a music school is really, really expensive. As someone who has an audio production degree, which isn't music, but is at least music adjacent, yes. Yes, it is. I had three years of that covered, and the last year is something I'm still paying off. Yeesh. Yeah. So, yeah, this industry is pretty insidious. And this one hurts because it's like a lot of the composers on there, you know who has a song on uh 
on a on a materia collective thing a guy by the name of Joe Asia, if you've heard of him I certainly have yeah heard him and heard of him. uh-huh is, is there anything he won't do not like, really he's get- apparently I is he a trombonist I think he's 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 got some kind of serious horn background and a singer and yeah. a stuntman and a voice actor mm-hmm. and a video content creator and everything else yeah I mean, when when you uh, uh, share the news you... with us, I I first started checking out the Material Collective website because I was more familiar with OC Remix. I wasn't too familiar with yeah. Materia. These guys and are the I competition, saw... or were, I guess. Yeah, I, I saw the rest of the Materia group, let's say, the other companies under the same umbrella. And, like, they have some big names in there. Like, yeah. Lina Rain is basically the most beloved uh, indie game composer right now and she's signed to uh, one of the materia companies yeah um and there's definitely room for something like this i like the idea of a game music and game remix music uh record label sort of situation that can help promote and sell music the thing is if you're going to sell music the composer should probably make the money from that sale you know that just seems like fair and logical Hmm. what a novel idea what a novel idea um but then unfortunately this brings us right back around to hey the music industry as a whole is pretty scummy and it's not like this is the first time i've heard of this in music in general good lord but it's definitely the first time i've heard of it on a large scale in the game music side of things that's actually kind of a a splash of cold water to the face, the fact that this sort of exploitation of artistry is now happening in games and not just on the game development side. Now it's over on the music side as well. And we think of game music in this, like, I don't want to say monolithic, but certainly kind of its own ecosystem compared to movie soundtracks or compared to mainstream music and how that operates. But no, actually, the nuts and bolts of it are fairly similar, just the the... And the and publishing was a little different and yeah yeah there can be terrible producers who don't want to compensate or don't or want to cheat performers and composers out of their fair cut i i just it's just it's happening again it's happening again we're dealing with this travesty again it, it seems like stuff in, in that vein happens from time to time in the entertainment industry it does. And the the gaming industry in particular is one where it, it's very a very new industry in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So it kind of feels like uh people are doing it by ear, let's say, and we end up with stuff like this. Yeah. Um Yeah, and that is actually like one of the bigger kind of like I I I'm trying to figure out a way to say this without getting political because I really do not want to turn this into any kind of political thing. But there's a reason the entertainment industry has such strong unions and that's because this sort of exploitation has kind of been all around. Um, yeah, and I think one of the reason for that is the perception that a lot of people that work in this uh, area uh, of uh, in good part out of passion, yeah, genuine passion that 
a lot of skinny people see and think, yes, great, I can pay less or not at all or with incredible delays. Yeah. Um, and that's the game incredibly industry, predatory and scary. It is. Yeah, and the, there's the a reason why the general, most feared kinda... phrase in entertainment is, I'll pay you with exposure. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's a bad one. Yeah, Ugh. With any yeah. freelance work, I think. Yeah. I mean, the gaming industry is one that essentially started with a lot of people just coding in their basements mm -hmm. or attics or whatever. So they started the industry without the knowledge of how complex things get once you start to grow. And now we have those people in charge with some exceptions that I will not name because they have been in the news lately and I get pissed when I talk, mention yeah, that name. Yeah, let's, let's not <clears> get the... Yeah. But generally speaking, we deal with a lot of companies that have people who just either don't know about uh, the business side very well because they started coding their basements and didn't really learn that side of the thing. Mm -hmm. Or we're dealing with people that are essentially heartless because they took advantage of people who didn't know better exploiters yeah people yeah. who like i don't know how to manage a company i'm selling my company to you because you are a manager maybe you'll help me and then it's hell mm -hmm. and those tend to be the two most common kinds of gaming company management systems we have nowadays yeah, yeah, you you know what else uh, tries their best to give exposure to artists uh, they uh, work, uh, they uh, do some work about hmm. us, but I don't think we're paying them. It's just normal to mention them. That doesn't mean we pay them, and we're not asking them to do any extra work. If we did, we'd probably try our best to find a way to compensate them. Yeah. We're not calling in favors like that because we couldn't. Yeah. Uh, if we ask for some work, work deserves pay. Yeah. Now, obviously, Simple there's an that. exception for specifically volunteer works. I've yes. done my share of, like, fan games and just side stuff like that. I'm doing just because I feel like it as a hobby. But I don't expect compensation for that. If compensation is expected, compensation should be paid. Exactly. Like, we're not getting paid for this podcast because we're not making money. If the podcast gets sponsored, I have full confidence that I get a part of it. Yeah. Wait, wait, you, you're not making money? Eddie, now is Eddie? not the time for that joke. <laughs> I am putting the kibosh on that right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, fair compensation. <laughs> I need a second. I just had to. Yeah, no, that was a pretty solid timing. In it was almost too good. That's the only problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> for clarity's sake. This is, at the moment, still a volunteer effort, and if the show gets bigger, we are looking at putting together a new logo. Uh, I'm looking to maybe get some music stingers commissioned instead of using the current royalty-free royalty stuff we're currently using. Stuff like that. 
Um, yes, we are all volunteers here. Yes, we are doing. We are this hoping for to now open as a, a hobby. Yeah, we are hoping to open a Patreon at some point in the future. And yes, I will be writing into official contracts that the three of us will spare proceeds evenly, because that's fair. Um, yes. What Material Collective is doing, on the other hand, is, is not, not fair. They are withholding exactly. royalties from their from their composers and from the people who are trusting them to handle that sort of thing because that's supposed to be their job and they're doing the entertainment industry thing of going well they're just entertainers so who cares and it sucks yes and it's not even just a matter of paying the bills even though that's incredibly important especially in this uh, period yeah Uh, but there's also the fact that judging by the tone of some of the quotes if you're not getting paid for your work as an artist, it's easy in your whole brain soup stuff that's happening to think my work is worthless. Yeah. Because its worth is literally being denied. Yes. And, man, again, I called it Insidious before, and I stand by that. It, it... Art is so important. We wouldn't be talking about it on the regular... If it weren't, this podcast wouldn't exist if yeah. it weren't. I'm doing this, and I assume you guys are as well, for a love of art and wanting to wanting to share that art with the world because it has worth, it has value. And I personally, like, oh. I know this isn't available for everybody, but I personally buy a whole lot of game music CDs. We had a whole episode on this not too long ago. I mean, I have an entire uh, playlist of video game soundtracks on, on my Spotify profile. I listen to it a yeah. lot. Brief parenthesis for an equally bad joke. Uh, you say I do it out of a passion. i sorry, I only do it for exposure, honestly. <laughs> okay. That's the end of the bad joke. Let's resume. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I needed that. Thank you. We are terrible people sometimes. <sighs> sometimes, yes. Um... I guess but the point... it's terrible to us and we can take it. Yes. I'm guessing the point I'm trying to make here is it's worthwhile and important to compensate artists however you can. And I know, obviously, not everyone can buy CDs. I'm very privileged with my income to be able to do that. But if you listen on Spotify, that's ad-supported. That's going to give some royalties. If you're able to buy something on Bandcamp once in a while, that helps an artist out a lot. Like... These guys matter. They matter to me. They matter to the tapestry of gaming as a whole. I hope they matter to you, too. And I don't want to see them exploited. That just makes me angry, and it makes me sad, and it makes me just lament the state of the entertainment industry as a whole. Because, yeah, there's a lot of crap that goes on in the entertainment industry. I want to mitigate that as much as I can. I think it's important to say. It's both ironic and infuriating that the industry that's that means the most to uh when it comes to entertaining people to keep people happy is the one that we hear the most about how awful it can be behind the scenes <sighs> like um, we do we do hear about about other industries with horrendous work oh but yeah when it comes to the when it comes to the entertainment industry we expect to like not necessarily be happy, but at least be a little bit of uplifted by 
what we're consuming. And then we hear about what went on in the background. Uh, we were talking earlier about, before recording, about a certain other company that we shall not name right now, where they also have been accused of some horrendous stuff in the background, including, uh, I think Galen said, uh, slave labor. Uh, it's, it's a sad reality that we can hope improves in the future. Uh, it shouldn't be this way. Yeah. Making these caveats is uh, incredibly tiring, and the ones to blame are certainly neither those that make the effort to do these caveats or the victims. Yeah. So, and I guess that's what it just boils down to at this point. Let's hope that we as a society can do better for the people who entertain us because that's worth it to do. Yes. Okay. I do we have any other points on this topic or can we move on to something less less heart-wrenching? Well, I'm believe fine it or not, with moving on. I have a transition in fact. Do it. Be because we're talking about the value of uh, art and music and uh, how it brings something uh value that's very unique and sometimes very personal. This brings us to Rez uh, because um How to put it? Uh, it's not a game about uh, having the most unique, best soundtrack in the world in isolation. But this game is about anything but taking elements from it in isolation. That's literally one of its main purpose. It's based on synesthesia as a de very deliberate intent and uh, in some ways it could be described as a pretty simple rail shooters with wireframe graphics that last five levels and can be finished in half an hour <laughs> in other ways it is one of the earliest example of an action rhythm game uh, that uh, also on some levels work uh, as a playable, experienceable representation of some of the way I processed my thoughts and imagination. So it's certainly a tricky game to blend, describe for those that have never experienced it. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, on this topic, I probably should have started by mentioning that, because it's its uh, 20th anniversary. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, st started, came out on the Dreamcast in 2001. The Dreamcast was in 2001. God, I feel old. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I have I have a similar feeling, but it's not that I feel old. It's that I feel very third world ish, because in uh, at that age I was playing the Super Nintendo. I think I still was <laughs> largely too, but I think I I think I mentioned it in our first episode. Consoles uh, back then 
got released very late here, so yeah. I was playing the Super Nintendo when the PlayStation 2 came out in the US. Um, I have no experience with Res. I don't often play rhythm games, unless you count mini games in Yakuza. Um, yeah, I think the last rhythm game I've played has been, I think, Guitar Hero 2. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess. Yeah, but... Guitar Hero counts, doesn't it? That makes sense. Um, but that's the thing. These are rhythm game, not quite rhythm action game. Right. Yeah. More recent examples that are games that are closer to what Res, if not created, at least put on the forefront. Uh, I can say Thumper as a more. Uh, ambient inspiration, although it does play mo like a regular rhythm game. Right. Uh, I'd say strictly for the gameplay part, but not for the uh, feel of it. Uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer is uh, more what I'd consider an action rhythm game that's more modern. Uh, or I think just shape and be just shapes and beats is also a pretty good a more modern example of um, some of the games that owe a certain amount of elements to Res's legacy. So how it plays is that uh, you start as some sort of humanoid avatar in uh, that's made out of squares uh, stacked on top of each other uh, and uh, you're pulsating a little bit to the rhythm and essentially the purely gameplay part of it is kind of like uh, Star Fox-like. Okay. Uh, except one of the main uh, elements of it is that uh, you don't you can't shoot just blindly. You uh, ha you lock on to enemies. Uh, you can uh, lock on multiple times to the same enemies. You have up to eight lock on at the same time, which then are released. And you might notice that nothing in what I've described uh, mention needing to stick to a beat. Yeah, I um, did notice that. And that's because the game kind of does it for you. Because when you uh, maintain the lock-on, the locks uh, happen and make a, a small snare that gets most intense uh, when the shots release, and they release according to subdivisions of the main rhythm. Hmm. Meaning that uh, while there is a soundtrack, uh, you directly influence it as all of the sound effects from the enemies and from yourself are integrated into the soundscape you're going through. Okay, so as a sound guy, it sounds like I actually really need to play this game. I wish I'd known something like that ahead of time, because that actually sounds really just mechanically very cool. Yeah, I was it's... wondering what you were thinking, because I, I kept looking at you, and we were both making the same face, but I think the reason mm -hmm. I was making this face was... I am trying to wrap my head around this thing. It sounds I'm... more complex than it probably is. Yeah, because gameplay-wise, like I've said, 
If I were to describe it in the most unflattering way possible, it's a 30-minute uh, rail shooter. Right, which doesn't seem to be nearly much of anything compared to uh, compared to what it could be. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, I mentioned the game Soundscapes, and that's really, I think, a part of what makes it... Uh, uh, so distinct, the fact that you are going through this world that over the progression of each level uh, intensifies both visually and uh, in the difficulty and in the soundtrack which progresses from step to step, which is why every single track on the soundtrack uh, starts so slow. It's because it makes sense in gameplay and uh, if you take away the gameplay and just give it to the music, it's just some very slow progression that's kind of boring until you get to the good part. But that's because it takes gameplay time to get into it, to build it progressively, and to navigate through it. Okay. I, I mentioned Synesthesia before, that is uh, part of it. The visual support, the sound, which even supports on the Collector's Edition the touch feeling, because they had uh, an accessory, uh, a specific uh, rumble pack essentially, uh, named the Trans Vibrator, uh, which they used to add a tactile feel to the whole experience. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I. Yeah, I think I've got to give this one a shot. That sounds really too fascinating not to at least try out at some point. Yeah, and uh, unlike most of your games on on your to do list, this will be pretty short. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to my pick a game backlog. <laughs> uh. It does sound like one of those games where you want to go after every single accessory that's involved in this to get the full experience, rather than just drop it into an emulator or something. Ideally, yes, but the game still stands out uh, on its own uh, if you don't have that tactile uh, addition to it. It does add something reportedly. I haven't tried it myself, so I can't have a personal authoritative uh, uh, opinion on that, but uh. um. Anyway, so the song you shared was called. That's the song from the fifth world. We and it's called Fear. It is called Fear. Um, As part of the only one of the only lyrical part of the game, which is uh, a sample. That say uh, something line from a recently remade sci-fi franchise. Yes, it does. Uh, so, for those of you Dune heads out there, it does, in fact, sample the line "Fear is the mind killer" quite often. Um, this has a very EDM trap sound to it. So, if you're familiar with like DJ yes. Snake, uh, he's probably the most famous practitioner of this particular brand of EDM. Uh, it's in that realm. Um. Or the Harlem Shake. That's another one that was very big. Mm. Oh God, don't was, do this to I, me. That one no, was big for of the meme. than the quality of the music itself. I, I actually I, don't like that song at all, but it's, it's a good I example of the trap. I just wouldn't have made the connection, but that is an excellent connection. 
You just brought the name and all the song and the memes are stuck in my head. Please save me. I would try, but I'm talking about this song right now and this song has similarities. Sorry. Um, yeah, in the hey, you know what? You're the big throat singing fan. If you really want to be saved, I, I was planning on bringing this up in general. The recent Dune had this scene with the Imperial Sardaukar and it had this like throat singer in there. You'd probably really like get a kick out of that because that was just wild. Oh, I'm intrigued. It was like a 30 second seed. It's probably all over YouTube. It was it was insane. Sweet. Like the introduction to the Sardaukar really has been living rent free in my head for the le since I've seen the movie. <laughs> that movie was very intriguing. I, I I won't talk about it too much, but I I Dennis Villeneuve is a very very good director. Um, so hopefully that will get you out of your, like, brain hell, Eddie. Sorry about that, but I needed to bring it up. Uh, go on. Um, you know, this was a very interesting song. It's very progressive, like, progressive in yes. the, like, traditional sense of the term. Like, it, it does reuse um, the sample quite a bit, and it does promote variations on a theme but it really does texture it in it's very it's got a very Paco Bell's canon kind of deal to it where it's just adding layer and subtracting layers as it goes and it's really something and it absolutely does that in the game on several other levels like most of what you said could also apply to the visuals for instance uh, one of the notable part for this level which is the fifth one is that most of the level before that were mostly colored wireframes on a black background. This one immediately starts in light theme, essentially. Okay. Uh, and not only that, it also has lyrics and it also has text during gameplay. Oh, interesting. Which no other level has. And it builds on these uh, atypical elements to tell essentially a... Uh, sort of creation story with uh, each successive step uh, adding more and more to the world as the, the um, primal chaos becomes uh, rocks and trees and then your avatar uh, goes uh, across uh, the rumbling backgrounds and then inside a giant tree that ascends as the music ascends as well and uh, it goes through that essentially adding some story element where none were obviously there before. Okay. It, uh, and uh, as a result, it's also one of the longest level, which contributes as well to uh, the uh, a very progressive uh, structure of uh, the song. Yeah. Um... This one's got a lot of vibe to it. Uh, I really like the synth pad that come out at a little before three minutes. Um, I, uh, I did find that I didn't like the snare hit on this one that much. I felt the snare was very just kind of thin for the kind of song it was. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Especially, I mean, it's very obvious... Uh... Well, it's weird because it's more obvious at the start where it's alone and it's, its thinness uh, f 
is um, even more of a point against it later on where it's more discreet and thus more easily drawn by the West. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's, yeah. I have to say, the song isn't quite my my style, not quite something I, I enjoy listening very much. Yeah. But as I, as I listened to it, I kept wondering uh, how it would play with another action rhythm game that uh, I've been hearing a lot about in recent years called uh, Pistol Whip, which is a VR action rhythm game where you synchronize your uh, pistol shoots and I think you're reloading as well to the beats of the music, of the background no, interesting. music. Actually, uh, I imagine that work because it's uh, uh, some, in particular if there is a feedback, if acting would influence the individual beats, uh, that would certainly work. I think now that I think of it and of the way there's uh, this two-way feedback, but part of why the snare aren't really that pressing uh, is that they're the sound uh, you make when you shoot. And you can shoot eight times in a row, which you are encouraged to do a lot of times. Right. Which means that if you had eight strong snares in a row, that would completely drown it. But that's the OST solo version. They could have modified it. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of these rare cases where I almost feel like that would have been like a bonus. Because that snare really kind of stands out as one like not really terrific element in an otherwise very interesting song. Like, just as objectively as I can be. Like Eddie, this isn't the sort of music I usually listen to. It's not really my thing. But I can certainly at least respect it. Yeah. And try to look at it with as objective an eye as I can. It's actually, like, very, like, well-made and textured and interesting. And then there's just a snare that just doesn't quite connect with the rest of the song. Yeah, I think I heard another remix that has, uh, that could solve that issue. Uh, I'll have to find it. Because I think, uh, given the nature and the mutable nature in particular of the track due to the two-way input uh, of uh, your actions having influence on the music, uh, that almost naturally make it uh, pretty remixable. Because no element can't be moved unless the whole song collapses. Yeah. By design. Yeah. Which... I think is kind of awesome. Like I, again, I really have a lot of positive things to say about the song and about the game from everything I'm hearing about it. I've got to check this thing out. This is like very, very cool. Yeah. From the I've never heard of, of the game, but it's, it sounds very fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so I encourage uh, anyone else that has been intrigued to find a way to, uh, I'd say at least uh, find out some gameplay video because at least there's also the visual component, but there isn't the back and forth that playing it yourself would bring. And good luck on finding an original uh, Dreamcast uh, CD because I imagine that niche game with a cult following on the Dreamcast is a perfect storm to have uh, original discs sold for absolutely obscene prices on eBay. Oh, yeah. I don't even have to check those prices. Yeah, that that just sounds like a big problem. I wonder if it ever got, like, an alternate release, like Good Old Games or something like that. I think there was a remake. 
Wait a minute. Isn't it on Steam as well? Let's check. There's something called Res Infinite on Steam. Yes. So that's expanded a little bit. That has very much the uh, original uh, gameplay. Okay. So, so... yes. All right. Good. So then you there is a way to check out the game without having to go through a whole bunch of hoops. Yes. So let's just buy it on Steam. I like that answer. Yes, and it's available for twenty-five bucks, which is a reasonable price. So good. Okay. Uh, and with that, I think it's time to introduce a brand new segment we are adding to Music Arcade. What are we playing lately? And how's the music? And that's going to get a better title at some point, I'm sure. Still, still being workshop. Yeah, this is our Fair first time so. trying it. So we're going to do some mini-reviews of uh, what we've been playing lately, and the two games I've been playing a lot of lately, Shocker of all shockers, anyone who knows me, we have Shin Megami Tensei V and Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker, when the servers let me in. Oh my god, I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, SMT5, same composer as SMT4, that's very clear. A lot more atmospheric. Eddie, I think you would actually really like this soundtrack a lot. It seems to hit, like, a lot of buttons that you're into. Um, oh, boy. But, uh... Yeah. Uh, if there's one word that remained uh, with me with for SMT4, uh, it was gravitas. Is it still the case there? Not as much so. It's a lot... It's a lot... Uh, SMT5 gameplay is a lot more open than any other SMT game ever has been. I can't qualify it as an open world game because it isn't one, but uh, it has elements of it, and the music kind of reflects that. It's it's less like in your face than other SMT games right. tend to be. Uh, there's still some very good hooks, some very good melody. It's it's an interesting experiment. And I appreciate it a lot. I'm trying to find it on Spotify just out of curiosity, but I can't find it on the Brazilian. Maybe it's in Kanji. I await the link to check this ambient stuff you mentioned. Um, yeah, it's good. Uh, and then quick little review on Endwalker, spoiler free. Uh, the main battle theme is very good. I didn't like Shadowbringer's main battle theme at all. This was a lot better. Um, the boss themes are really cool, the first dungeon is really cool, uh, and then the music for Old Charlian, I'm a sucker for classical guitar, and there's some good classical guitar in there, and I like it a lot. Um, yeah, the end review. <laughs> uh, continue review. Uh, yeah, Endwalker as well, a lot of great tracks, four in particular uh, stood out to me. Uh, two of which have been uh, mentioned, like the um, uh, the mid-bass theme. Mm -hmm. uh, in particular, is one I prefer to the final bass theme for the the dungeon, uh, and it kind of reminds me of the Black Wolf Stokes again from uh, a specific fight of the previous oh, expansion. Yeah. The, the texture of the guitar is very similar. Yeah, I can hear you there. I I could talk about this till I'm blue in the face, but every once in a while, Soken will get on this, like, specific guitar tone that I absolutely hate, and he isn't using it this time around, and that makes me very happy. Yeah. And uh, also, all Charlene, very peaceful uh, music theme, very mm -hmm. uh, serene. Uh gives me the feel uh, 
of uh, really being in the eye of the storm in many ways uh, and just having the occasion to enjoy that as well. I think it's uh, something that is good now and will stay just as fresh in uh, 5, 10, 20 months. Um, actually, I do have one more comment about the Endwalker soundtrack. Is it just me or is like Melody Section lifted wholesale from Kakariko Village in uh, the Fafnir area? Because I swear I'm hearing elements of Kakariko in that thing. And I'm just like, why are you ripping Zelda off? I don't quite remember, but that didn't strike me, at least. I heard it several times, it's in the daytime theme, and I'm like, I'm hearing Kakariko Village as part of this song, why am I hearing this? This is so weird. Maybe I won't unhear it now, so thanks in advance, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> and then two other tracks that really stood out, uh, I won't be able to say exactly what they are, uh, but one of them is a remix of a thing that has been there since 2.0. Uh, actually, saying what track this is a remix for won't be surprising given what it know what we know. It's a remix of Imperial Will. Ooh! In a in a very unexpected genre. Okay. And and it is uh, used beautifully. Okay. In an, yeah, in an unexpected way. And uh, the other is that they use the for a specific section of one map, uh, wholesale a uh, battle theme from an older game. Oh, which is, uh, I just found it really cute in this context. Okay, I'm definitely looking forward to hear that. Yeah. So, lots of care have been given to uh, a lot of tracks. There hasn't been really for me the banger yet, although I'm only like halfway through the leveling process. Right. And the real bangers tend to be uh, more backloaded. Yep. Uh, but so far, the consistency of it has been uh, really solid. Like, the highs may not strike as high ice as uh, Shadowbringers, uh, where, for instance, the theme from Holminster Switch was, uh, and it still remains an absolute favorite. Yeah, that song is great. But uh, on an average level, the, this uh, soundtrack is consistently very, very good. I can confirm that. So... I'm the one who doesn't play Final Fantasy XIV here, and yet I also have a pick that might surprise people who know me for years. Because the game that I've been playing for the past, well, I think three days now, has been Genshin Impact. Hmm. And most people are aware that I don't usually play JRPGs very much, and I don't play gacha games, so... It's a mixture of things that I don't usually play, and yet, here I am. Um, but yeah, I've been playing for a few hours right now, which means I'm still in the prologue, because Genshin Impact things. And the soundtrack so far is mostly just pleasant. Uh, I haven't found anything like abrasive or some sort of combat theme that was particularly energetic or whatever. 
Though I think it was on the last episode that Galen brought up, well, also today, but I think on the last episode as well, brought up the difference between uh, Japanese composers and Western composers when it comes to open world games and how the West were much more ambience heavy and the East, the melody takes, uh, takes center stage. And with Genshin Impact, I kind of couldn't stop noticing that. <laughs> uh, I- I'm used to playing like uh, Skyrim, uh, Witcher 3 is a game I've played a, a, fair, a fair amount as well. Um, even the Divinity franchise, they aren't quite the same style of gameplay, but they also have that open world thing. So I'm used to that uh, ambience heavy stuff. Uh, and this this game has a lot of like uh, melody lines. Sometimes the piano, sometimes it's uh, a bowed string instrument. Sometimes it's something entirely different. But it always has some sort of melody line, even in the night themes. And I couldn't stop noticing it ever since the last last episode. Uh, yeah, the- and uh, a lot of that is that uh, each region essentially has uh, its main leitmotifs that is reinterpreted in many different ways in the combat, in the field, in the city. Yeah, I, I haven't had the opportunity to, to notice that they are leitmotifs very much because, again, I'm only a few hours in, which means I'm in the prologue. Of course. Uh, I, I should note that the prologue has multiple acts. Like <laughs> this is, this is like we made a movie. The movie is called Prologue. It, it's that level of prologue size. But yeah, the soundtrack's been very pleasant. Uh, there has been nothing that I could complain about so far. Uh, it's very different from my usual uh, stomping grounds, let's say. Uh, I because I. I have played JRPG, open world JRPGs in the past, but it's most of them has have been like ten to fifteen years ago. Uh, I haven't played one in a, in a while, so I'm really, really noticing the differences now that I have one that I'm playing again. Um, but that's it's pretty fun. It's a pretty fun soundtrack. Uh, I am. Devoting myself to not go into the gacha mechanics, at least not with real money, because Good. again, I am currently a freelance without many clients, so kind of have to work with my finances. But even then, it's been a fun game so far. I uh, I like the different elemental interactions, and the soundtrack is uh, a nice a nice bonus. It makes makes the entire exploration uh, feel more more relaxing. Uh, the exploration aspect, incidentally, reminds me a lot of uh, Assassin's Creed if it didn't point out on the map exactly where every single interaction in the map existed. Mm-hmm. You kind of mm-hmm. dis- discover on your own. And with that very pleasant soundtrack, uh, it makes the exploration experience very, very fun, very interesting. So thumbs up, just try not to drop into the endless pit of gacha mechanics. Boy, howdy. And with that, that's all the time we have for today. Sadly, not as many recommendations on this episode, but sometimes music talk includes talk of the music industry itself. 
If you have any comments, questions, or anything else to add, please feel free to reach out to us on music.arcade.podcast at gmail.com or hop into my personal Discord where we have a Music Arcade channel. And we will see you guys next time, hopefully with better news.